Hello, everyone, and welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation, a podcast from the AIM10X network dedicated to uncovering the best practices and most valuable learnings from the world's leading change agents and community of global innovators. I'm your host, Caleb Masters, and as always, we're here to provide you with actionable insights from today's greatest thought leaders to guide and accelerate your journeys. In today's episode, we'll be joined by the co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network, Maria Villablanca, and the Senior Vice President of Global Industry Solutions at O9 Solutions, Tengi Kale, to discuss the top supply chain challenges to watch in 2023. We'll start off today by talking a little bit more about the supply chain sustainability and how that and ESG will factor into supply chain strategies for next year before taking a look at how inflation will continue to be a factor in 2023 And then we'll close out the conversation by talking a little bit more about how digital transformation can help supply chain leaders and organizations to prepare and overcome these unique business challenges. Before we get to the topic today, I just want to formally introduce today's guests. First up, I'm so thrilled to be joined by Maria Villablanca. Maria is the co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network, a fast-growing membership network of over 130,000 manufacturing, supply chain, and digital transformation leaders. Maria is also the host of the Transform Talks podcast series, and her podcast series was created to help supply chain leaders connect with each other, share ideas, projects, and collaborations. And in a short time, her podcast channel has become a single platform that brings together all of the world leaders in the sector. Maria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me here. Wonderful. Well, I'm excited to talk a little bit more with you here in a moment. But first, let's introduce our second guest here, which is Tangi Kali. Tangi is a senior vice president of global industry solutions at O9 Solutions. And in the role at O9, Tangi is a global lead across the retail, CPG, process, and discrete manufacturing verticals. And throughout his career of 20 plus years, Tangi has advised on supply chain transformation and planning processes and IT solutions for global industry leaders. Tangi, welcome to Masters of Digital Transformation. Yeah, thanks for having me today. Well, listeners, now that you know the players, let's get on to today's topic, which is the top supply chain challenges to watch for 2023. So I want to start off by talking a little bit more about one that we're seeing and hearing a lot about, which is supply chain sustainability. Over the past few years, sustainability, especially sustainable supply chains, really has become more of a strategic priority for many companies across industries. And in fact, a recent Ernst & Young study has shown that in 2022, 82% of CEOs see ESG as a critical value driver. And this is really a significant increase compared to 2019 that showed only 42% of the same surveyed folks uh, answered. So Maria, I want to start with you here. I mean, as we look to 2023, what are the driving changes uh, among the the mindsets of CEOs and CSEOs? I think when we talk about ESG in general, it's moving away from a nice to have or a sort of conversation about, well, should we do this or should we not do this to we have to do this. So I think that the changes are mostly driven by shareholders. They're driven by employees, you know, younger employees that are coming into the workforce are demanding purpose-driven businesses that are accountable. Uh, I think it's driven by clients, uh, customers. They're also demanding that supply chains become more transparent. Uh, Really, the pressures are on for CEOs and CSEOs to actually deliver tangible results with regards to ESG initiatives. And then on top of that, you've got governmental compliance issues. Uh, The government's breathing down companies next. So really, it's time for accountability. So you're saying they want real tangible results and and tangible plans. So there's no more of that. The greenwashing is, is really a thing of the past. Is that right? 
I wouldn't say it's a thing of the past. I mean, you see uh, examples of companies that are very well known uh, being sued at the moment in court because their uh, claims for sustainability aren't panning out. So I think there is a real push, a real very heavy push to organizations and their leadership teams to actually drive tangible ESG results beyond the sort of really nice things to talk about, things that are going to deliver results. Obviously, the the public and shareholders are really bringing that accountability in, and that's going to look a little different for supply chains this next year. Tangi, I want to turn it to you for this next question first. How exactly is this conversation around sustainability? How is this changing among supply chain leaders, especially for the next year? The heat is turning on, and not just uh, literally, but figuratively. So I think we are, uh, actually, Maria said it very well. This is over the time of just uh, kind of speaking nicely about it, but doing nothing about it. The supply chain leaders will have to be able to account for ESG results or output of their supply chain. And as we know, supply chain is, in some companies, it's 80% of the cost of a company, right? It's the main purpose of a manufacturing company is to buy products, transform products, store, sell, transport, and then sell the products. So that is at the heart of so many companies. And of course, moving and buying products and manufacturing products create CO2, right? So that is the first main topic that we are going to see. Um, and we are seeing a very strong trend where it's over the time of reporting what happened in the past. I think nobody anymore says, okay, fine, it's nice to make your nice reporting that fits well into your uh, annual reports. Uh, it's time now that you plan for the future and you are correctly starting to simulate what the impact of your supply chain is going to be on the environment. Of course, CO2 is one topic, but I want to add uh, a wastage for, uh, you could be food wastage. Uh, let's add uh, uh, electricity. Let's add uh, pollutants. Uh, water, of course, is a key, key topic. So all those things is an output of the supply chain, has to be measured, will have to be planned for, and for sure, the equation against uh, uh, how much it costs, the financialization, uh, is going to become then the very interesting discussion because somehow the companies are going to find out where do they sh where should they compromise ready? What should be their trade-offs? And as I was kind of also thinking, and I think that's also the, the, the last piece in the equation, when we will start to really pay for the carbon, the CO2, uh, that is going to finally shift the behavior of, of consumers, of course, because at the end of the day, they will have to pay for it. But then, of course, everybody around the supply chain, and I'm sure already leaders in various industries are already starting to make plans for this. The heat's being turned up and the urgency is really increasing for a, a number of supply chain leaders. So, Maria, is there anything you'd like to add about exactly how supply chain leaders are talking or thinking differently about it for 2023? I just think that they're becoming more aware of the consequences of not acting. I think it's more about operationalizing ESG initiatives now, where before even a year or two years ago, we were having a lot of conversation that were more theoretical. Should we do this? How do we do this? How do we balance this with COVID? How do we balance ESG initiatives with costs like Tangi was alluding to? I think the conversation for 2023 and beyond is all right. We know we have to do this. So how do we operationalize this? How do we operationalize this effectively with a real plan that will lead to tangible results? So the question I believe 2023 is going to be about quick wins. 
It's going to be, how do I make this happen quickly? Whether it's CO2 related, like Tangi talks about, but let's not forget about all the other issues with regards to compliance, with regards to equity, diversity and inclusion, risk factors. Uh, you know, the earth literally is on fire, but at the same time, we cannot be destroying, you know, cities and moving towns and creating uh, inequity within the world in order to pursue some of the previous goals that we've had in the past. Now, don't get me wrong, we're not moving away from capitalism and from businesses making money. We're just looking to do this in a more accountable and responsible way. So to answer your question, I think to me, 2023 and beyond is going to be about real tangible operationalizing of ESG initiatives. Tangi, what would you say from your perspective are the consequences of being behind or slow to embrace this new legislation? The reality is the leaders are investing massively into digitalization, massively. They are basically taking a head start. And actually, the gap between the laggers and the, the ones which are in front is not just growing linearly, it's growing exponentially. So my view is that, uh, the first of all, on the supply chain topic overall, we are already seeing leading companies making headways into, let's call it a more efficient future. But that is going to create a gap that other laggers cannot maybe close, most probably. That's the first thing. And the second thing is regarding ESG, the technology is going to play a key role, right? It's super difficult to calculate ESG or to include ESG into your supply chain digital twin, if we call it from, a, from that perspective. So that means we have a lot of emerging technologies, a lot of new players coming in, sometimes just to do the reporting, let's say. But the hard part is going to be, I mean, you should know every country has a different way to measure carbon, has a different way to measure other ESG impact. So that means the legislation per country being different means that you have to have a lot of software and technology behind it to make sure that a global company at the scale of a global operation can actually report accurately, but at the same time can make future prediction about what is going to be their footprint and be correct about their calculation. So technology will be one of the key drivers of improvement of getting adoption of ESG and making ESG part of the strategy and decision-making of companies. If I could add something else, I would also say, let's talk about layering this on top of a complex supply chain as it is in a complex world. So you're talking about supply chain leaders that are trying to balance out um, uh, geopolitical issues, sourcing materials issues. There is a lot happening. And so technology is going to be the great enabler to help supply chain leaders be able to dissect all of that information like Tangi just talked about, uh, different types of governmental compliance issues around the world on top of different types of pressures that they're facing. The, the reality also is that we talked earlier about drivers. There are diminishing resources that are, that it, that is a reality that is happening. So as a result, and whether it's due to sustainability issues or due to geopolitical issues, supply chain leaders have got to figure out a different way to do this. They've got to. There just is no choice anymore. Of course, the, the consequences of being behind is you're going to be unable to remain competitive and you're going to be out of the loop and, and not able to gather or uh, equip yourself with those resources. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Maria, about the role that technology will be able to play in help solving these very difficult planning challenges? It will be impossible to really manage ESG initiatives without technology because of the mountains of data that is needed to crunch the kind of global numbers that you need in order to drive ESG initiatives. Uh, like Tangi talked about, there are worldwide compliance issues that differ from country to country, from region to region in some instances. Uh, you've got, um, if you're trying to be transparent, you need to implement a digital supply chain that you can 
visibly see end to end. So you need to get to grips with your entire supply chain all the way down to your second, third tier suppliers. That will not be done on pen and paper, my friend. This is going to be done digitally. And so anything that allows you to get that kind of visibility and transparency, not only will it help you weather the next crisis that might be around the corner, but it will help you with the ESG initiatives that are enormously important. Again, ESG and sustainability, it sounds like it is going to continue to be a very high priority uh, for supply chain leaders out there. I actually want to move on to another major area here. You both alluded to geopolitical factors. So, of course, with, with that in mind, a major event that struck supply chains in early 2022 was the Russian invasion of Ukraine. So to combat the crisis, many governments have sought out new suppliers and adjusted their positions for 2023. So, Tenge, I want to start with you here. I mean, while the short-term impacts of the operational shifts and financial impacts have already been reported and taken into account. How do you think the the war will continue to shape and influence the supply chain and energy industries like oil and gas? Actually, to make a segue to the ESG discussion, the price of energy is exploding. Gas and electricity, and we also in UK, right, we are talking about not uh, warming the schools of, uh, of Great Britain, uh, I'm like, okay, what's going on, right? And they are not going to have ski resorts running because it takes too much electricity, they cannot pay for it. And all of a sudden, people realize, oh, it would be amazing to make economies, right? Where are we with our sustainability objectives? What are we doing to save energy? Finally, people are saving energy because it's t- touching their pocket right away, right? So I think there is the, the geopolitical situation is paving the way for, for the changes on the ESG side, because finally it's touching consumers where it should. Uh, and then finally companies are coming and say, hey, this is what it is. I can only provide you this at this cost because this is what I'm getting from the market, right? Uh, and I think that is going to change uh, the behaviors of, of many of us because it is touching us. Now, when it comes to supplies, right? And indeed, as you mentioned, it's uh, those commodities. But at the end of the day, the, the great shift it still it was already starting to happen, right? The relocation shoring has already started. The near shoring is already starting. The, the, the thinking about having much more nimble manufacturing capabilities closer to your consumer to be able to react to uh, very specific consumer demands, very changing consumer demands, but also at less cost, less impact on the environment. This is it's a very profound trend which is happening already. I think, again, like covid Ukraine-Russia conflict is just accelerating things which are already in place for, for, for tendencies which are already in place for a long time. And we will see just that uh, accelerate. Maria, is there anything you would add? Well, right now, there are factories that are drawing up plans to shift their day workers to night because the electricity is cheaper at night. This is a real thing. This is a real thing that is affecting real companies and real people. Like Tangi gave examples of ski lifts and cinemas and all these things that are not going to happen. The first things to go are the nice-to-haves. When we start to get into the things that affect people at their day-to-day, which is where we are rationing electricity, where we are rationing power because the cost of oil and gas have gone up dramatically because of this conflict, the impact is going to be felt for a very long time. Now, something that I don't want to get too much into geopolitics, but the reality is that this is not going to be solved overnight. Even if the war ended tomorrow, these sanctions are in place for years and years to come which means that the impact that we're going to be having are going to be felt across the board. So again, without going into too much geopolitics or history lessons, the world has had relative stability since the end of World War II. 
We've had relative predictability and stability. Then came the 90s with the idea of outsourcing and NAFTA and offshoring and all of those things. And what's happening now is that we're coming back to the perhaps maybe the pre-war, pre-World War II economies. And so companies are having to reevaluate business models, business practices, uh, supply lines, transportation lines. Then you add into this the fact like what, uh, what Tangi just talked about. Okay, Europe and the United States, we have a surplus of barley, wheat, etc. But Africa doesn't, the Middle East doesn't. What political instability is that going to create? What's going to happen if there is more political instability in Africa in the Middle East? Are we going to head into something even more sinister, more difficult? So I think the supply chain leader today, it isn't just about oil and gas. It is about a powder keg situation that currently exists in geopolitics that is making supply chain leaders have to reevaluate their entire business practice and models from that perhaps are antiquated and 50, 60, 80 years old in some instances. It sounds like that there's going to be a huge, huge emphasis on making preparations, Maria. I mean, if you're talking about starting to lose some of those nice to haves and thinking about which of the the need to haves or have to haves are we going to have to to ration? Why would you say, Maria, that it's important for business leaders to prepare and be proactive, not only for the major challenges that we see here on the horizon, but also for more of these uncontrollable and unexpected challenges like the war in Ukraine or the next crisis that we don't know is coming? We live in an era right now that is just black swan after black swan after black swan event. So I think that the supply chain leader, actually the business leader today, has got to learn to build in resilience, agility, and adaptability into their models. The pandemic taught us that we could deal with crisis. And I think if, if, if you really think about the, the way that supply chain people operated during the pandemic, you've got to give them a lot of credit. A lot of applause goes to business leaders, manufacturing leaders, supply chain leaders, but they are burnt out. They were working under crisis scenarios and crisis environments. Now, the big mistake would be to try to revert back to normality or what was seen as normality. We live in a different era now, and this era is crisis. It is black swan after black swan. So supply chain leaders, business leaders, all leaders worldwide are now having to focus on how do we operate in this new model, in this new environment. And again, going back to some of the earlier points, technology, technology, technology. Digital transformation is going to help tremendously. Let me exemplify it from a real, from supply chain perspective, right? We came from a world where uh, everything was stable, as Maria said, and it was so easy. And also with a lot of commodity products, big volume products, everything is stable. So I can maximize my resources. I make a big plant and I'm churning out product, right? And I'm filling the shelves and things are great. Now, we, this is a world we are coming from where everything looks fixed and, and was optimized to make mass volume for lowest cost per unit possible. The only way to survive in the future world where we need agility and resiliency is to have spare capacity. The only way to handle spare capacity correctly uh, and efficiently from an economic perspective is to digitalize the, the management of the assets, to actually communalize the management of the assets. And I think... Here we go, Uber and Airbnbs and all the other guys, they are all doing exactly the same thing, which is I'm virtualizing assets, I am putting them in common, and I'm basically able to share them for people, and I'm basically making them pay by the hour, by the minutes, by the kilometer, whatever you want, right? Technology is going to allow uh, us and, and manufacturers and companies to, first of all, free up capacity, be a lot more efficient with uh, the, the, the workforce that we have for, to take faster decisions 
and use as, bet, as best as possible these capacities, unless they are not used. Maybe they can be shared uh, to others, which would be in need as well. So we, we spoke about mutualization uh, back in 2005, 6, 7, 10. There was a big trend around mutualization in transportation warehousing. It completely died. Uh, and I'm kind of predicting that the, this is going to come back. There are some players which are doing warehouse uh, mutualization virtually and these type of things. So uh, asset utilization through digital technology, so digital technology is going to be a key uh, way of becoming agile and resilient. Is there anything else, Maria, that you'd like to say about how supply chain leaders can become more resilient and ensure their supply chain is more resilient? I think there's two things. Number one is collaboration. We're not going to do this alone. And I think it's imperative that we look outside of our own industry, outside of our own businesses. We look to competitors. We look to all areas of help that we possibly can for information, because this is going to require some thinking that perhaps we haven't seen. This is unprecedented times. So unprecedented times require help. Second thing I think is going to be important is diversity. And I don't mean just let's take a box and hire people with different skin color and different sexes. I'm talking about diverse thinking, bringing different people to the equation, to the conversation, because at different times require different thinking. So looking at bringing people into the supply chain that perhaps come from more creative fields, that come from different types of backgrounds. So I think on top of technology, having different thinkers in the business, collaborating with your peers, that's going to be absolutely essential to come out the other end with, again, a different model. Collaboration, I want to make it even broader. There is basically an ecosystem that companies need to work with. And your ecosystem is not anymore the partners you're working with, but it's going to be your competitors, it's going to be technology partners, it's going to be consulting partners, it's going to be service partners for many other topics, it's going to be your suppliers of suppliers which can collaborate. So the... The econ- we've talked about networks of networks and the suppliers of the suppliers to the customers of the customers. That was in the book in supply chain already back in 2000. That was kind of written there, but never applied really because we never get to that point, I would say, and there was still a lot of friction in supply chain. I think we are, we are removing a lot of border, a lot of uh, walls, I would say, and now the technology allows for people which should not collaborate to finally collaborate because the, the source of efficiencies won't be found anymore inside the four walls of a company. They are going to be found across the walls of the different companies that find new ways to do business together in a more efficient, agile, and resilient way. Taking that sort of collaboration really to the next level and thinking massively outside the box, I think is a great takeaway, especially for supply chain leaders in 2023. I do want to move on to the next topic at hand here. Uh, and this is one that's been trending uh, at headlines for the, the last few months, which is inflation. According to Bloomberg, who actually cited a recent San Francisco Fed analysis, it's uh, the article said that supply factors account for more than half of the current level of inflation, while demand explains only about a third. So the, the latest reading suggests that the U.S. economy is really interesting into a, a period of that low growth and, and elevated inflation. Uh, with that in mind, though, Maria, I want to start with you. What long-term impacts of inflation do you expect will continue to see on the supply chain in 2023? I think perhaps we'll start to see a decrease in diversity of product offerings with companies. Uh, I like to give the example of, you know, even when I was a kid going down the supermarket aisle, you had like a billion different types of cereal. We are a society of plenty. Certainly the Western world is a society of plenty. And I think what we're going to be seeing with inflation is again, that conversation of the must-haves, the needs to have, as opposed to the nice-to-haves. 
So there will be more competition for diminishing resources. That will mean that prices will be affected. So in general, I think probably manufacturers and supply chain leaders will be looking at reducing their inventory or reducing the number of products that they manufacture and they get out to market. And that might mean a more simple supply chain, a less complex supply chain, which also could answer the issues with regards to building resilience and agility. Uh, I think inflation is just one of those things that's going to have an impact all over. You're going to see higher wages. We're going to see, again, with oil and gas going up, uh, you know, all types of commodities increasing and perhaps not even available in the marketplace anymore. It is time to circle the wagons, as we use this, uh, the statement in the States, and and really start to look at what matters, what's important, and what I can do well within the confines of those limitations. Tang, anything you would add to that as it relates to inflation next year? I would be a bit of a contrarian on, on this one. But my feeling is that it is due to the specific crisis we are going through right now. There are, by the way, certain countries, take the US again, right? They are independent of the Russian situation. That's a reality. That means normally inflation in the U.S. should not be there because of this crisis in Ukraine. Now, for sure, Europe, fully in line, we are definitely feeling it. Like a black swan, normally this is going back. I'm not saying it's go back to normal. I'm going, it's going back to a new normal. I believe we should not fear about the stagflation that we had the fear back in at the end 90s and, and 2000, where we were like, oh my God, the inflation is going up. The growth is going down. So we are going to get stuck into a stagflation. What we need to realize is the technology improvements that are happening are absolutely bringing exponential improvements. And that is getting us away from the attraction or the downward attraction of stagflation. There is a mechanical effect that technology, the output we get out of the economy because of technology improvements is exponentially greater than what's happening. So we should be quite hopeful from that perspective, the same as we should be hopeful that actually technology progress will help us get out of the, the hole on the ESG side. That would be my view for 23. I think inflation is rather a short-term situation that uh, also some people are definitely taking advantage of it. And they are not always well correlated to the reality of, of what's happening into the market. We've talked a lot about technology here, and, and then that is obviously a, a big factor. Uh, digital transformation is really going to be the best way to help organizations prepare to be smarter and more efficient. But I, I wanted to quickly talk here. I mean, according to the uh, recent Cooper Digital Trends and Supply Chain 2022 survey, how emerging tech is used in supply chain operations really does vary greatly, uh, as do future investment plans. Uh, but they reported that 80% of respondents said that technology investments haven't fully delivered on the expected results with a variety of reasons to blame for that. So uh, Tangi, I actually want to turn it to you here for this one. I mean, what does this survey tell you about the underutilization of the new planning technologies that are being adopted by companies currently? It looks like people are impatient. They're like, hey, I'm putting two uh, a million on the table for technology. I hope to get 10 million tomorrow, right? I should have 10 million tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm frustrated because I got minus five now, we are not seeing this everywhere, but I think there is a majority of companies and leaders which have not yet, I would say, changed, right? They are still kind of anchored into the past in terms of the fact that they think that technology is a band-aid and if you put money into technology, all of a sudden, the other problems go away. What are the other problems? Organization, operating model, role and responsibilities, skill sets, processes, everything around Technology cannot be cured by technology on its own. Actually, the thing which is very more, uh, I think, very interesting is that we are going to customers with something that is radically different to what they were used to. And you're telling them, forget about all your requirements, current ways of working. No, 
look at how technology today helps you to do this process way better, not basically change your way of working to adopt the technology because you will get the efficiencies out of that, right? I'm always using this example. RPA, so robotic process automations, go into invoice matching for purchasing or for sales guys. Basically, with RPA, you can save 80% of your workforce time of people doing manual work uh, with RPA. Now, if you would ask those people to design a process and to design an organization that take advantage of RPA, they would have designed it in a way that RPA doesn't work, right? Because it would still be very manual because it will keep going on with the current ways of working because they cannot think outside the box. Maria said a really great example. We need to bring diversity in terms of different thinking, different create creativity uh, to think outside the box. So what we are seeing is technology is forcing companies to think out of the box if they are willing to think out of the box. And I think the frustrating people are the ones which are not willing to think out of the box right now. And they are basically pouring millions in technology, but at the same time crying for the fact that the changes are not happening. But I would say, guys, look yourself back into the mirror, see about exactly what are you doing with your organization, with your ways of working, operating model, etc., with your people to enable them to finally take advantage of the technology you're bringing with with uh, this money. Maria, any thoughts on that? Tangi and I have talked about this for years. And and funnily enough, it's the basis of my podcast in Transform Talks. Well, we've been talking about digitization, digitalization for years. What does it mean to you? How are you going to implement it? Look, newsflash. Digital transformation or technology is not the magic bullet. That I, And I think that's the problem. I think people think, okay, I'm going to spend a million pounds or a million dollars and I'm going to implement this new technology. Bam, all my problems are going to be solved. Uh, it doesn't work that way. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort. I'm going to give you an example. I have got a treadmill, really cool, state-of-the-art treadmill sitting right next to my desk. I am not going to get any healthier or fitter unless I get on it. And having the most amazing piece of kit and piece of technology sitting here without having to understand the underlying reason or this problem I'm trying to solve and how I'm going to adjust all the elements around my life to try to solve the problem I need to solve, it's not going to work. So to me, digital transformation is not a magic bullet. It And especially it's not a magic bullet when it's layered on top of faulty business processes, bad culture, and not answering the one question, which is what problem am I trying to solve? And is it worth solving it? I like the example that Tanky just gave about, uh, you know, the, the, the technology. If you had asked people how to do the technology, you would have designed something completely different, which makes me think of that quote that that is, I don't know if it's correctly attributed to Henry Ford or not, which is if you'd asked his customers what they wanted, he would have built faster horses, right? Uh, instead of cars, it takes some vision to be able to see through how am I going to get to this end goal over here and what are the many things that I'm going to need to implement to actually deliver it. People, processes, technology go hand in hand, not one. It's all of it has to work together. Yeah. So we need to get to the boardroom. And the shareholders. Exactly. The shareholders. Because we speak to, to supply chain people also every day, right? And I think supply chain community understand this. Now, are they the ones that are usually blocking for the change? No, they, they have to deal with the environment into which they are, they are living in and they have to deal with their board and they have to deal with their shareholders. And I think uh, changing the model there, convincing the board that there is, uh, those changes are absolutely required, which requires investment, which requires less performance maybe for some time until the new model gets in place 
that is important. So profit for the short term doesn't going to solve, it's not going to solve the problem, but all of that requires a huge amount of investment, and that is then will bring the benefits, guaranteed technology and everything will bring the benefits, but you have to put in the effort. And what I'm hearing here is, I mean, it, it's not a Band-Aid. It's not a one-time fix. You need that continuous improvement. And if you're a business who has bought technology, don't just stop there. You need to continue to invest in trainings and processes and uh, to Marina's point, the people who can oversee and ensure this transformation happens effectively. So being closing out, let's focus on exactly what can be done today or what can our listeners start to do now? So Maria, I'll start with you. What next steps can our listeners take to ensure their strategy is ready for the new year? I think the first thing would be to try to get as much supply chain visibility as they can within their own supply chains, understand their risk exposure as well in terms of their suppliers, in terms of their suppliers' suppliers, use technology to do that. If you don't have the technology, start having the conversations about the technology that you can implement to try to gain that kind of visibility. Understand your clients, understand demand and supply. I mean, at, at the moment, we can't predict a lot of things because a lot of it is unpredictable. But having the kind of level of the people in the right places, the processes and the technology to try to give you that kind of visibility is certainly going to get you further forward than if you were trying to do this with the kind of methodologies that you implemented 10, 20 years ago. Tang, any suggestions or recommendations for our listeners on next steps? Educate yourself, be open, start to think out of the box. I think what got me sometimes, and I had the experience, I went into the business and I I came from consulting world into the business and I did not realize actually how sometimes uh, close environment companies can be and people are in their company for so many years, absolutely not even aware about the, the most simple things that are happening somehow in their field outside. And this is actually scary because the pace at which technology is evolving is actually mind-boggling. Even us being in this space don't see I don't even want to say 10% of what's really going on. And we are getting surprised. So, so I think that's, that's a key thing for me is uh, open up the chakra, uh, understand that actually there are so many things going on outside. Try to bring in the outside in view into your companies. Re-question the way that you have been doing things for so many years uh, and get yourself uh, braced for more agility, resiliency, and changes that is going to happen to your business because... That's a fact of life. Uh, change is a fact of life. And this is going to happen for sure. All right. Well said. Well, we are out of time today. Maria Vilblanca, the co-founder and CEO of the Future Insights Network and the host of Transform Talks. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Tangi, Senior Vice President of Global Industry Solutions at 09 Solutions. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in to today's episode featuring Maria Villablanca and Tengi Kelly covering the top supply chain challenges to watch for in 2023. We started by talking about supply chain sustainability and how ESG will factor into supply chain strategies before taking a look at how inflation will continue to be a factor in 2023. We then closed out the conversation by taking a look at how digital transformation can help supply chain leaders and organizations prepare for and overcome these unique business challenges. Now, if you enjoyed today's conversation with Maria and Tengi, and you'd like to learn more about the trends to watch, you can check out the 09 Solutions white paper that's titled Mitigating Supply Chain Complexity with NextGen Platforms, and that resource is going to be linked in today's show notes. To keep up with more episodes of Masters of Digital Transformation, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your preferred podcast app. 
You can learn more about the activities and learning opportunities available through the AIM10X Innovators Network by following AIM10X on LinkedIn. Listeners, as we close out today's episode, the conversation has really had the words of John F. Kennedy echoing in my mind when he said, change is the law of life, and those who look only to the past or the present are certain to miss the future. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you again next time.